0: You know, the Gospels spend a large amount of time, a lot of chapters of the Gospels are spent uh, just focusing on these events, this final week of Jesus' life, uh, where his saving work is uh, accomplished. And so uh, we're going to look at this account, uh, this unique account, uh, really cool stuff happening in this uh, story uh, in Luke's Gospel. Uh, So let me read it for us. It says... Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our, of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Okay, let me pray for us again. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to this, your word, we pray that you would give us wisdom and guidance, and uh, we pray that we would be changed by it as you apply it to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, Preaching on a text like this is really kind of challenging for me because this is like everything, you know if you've been at RUF a while, then you know that like most times when I talk about any text in the Bible, I like usually bring it back to the cross in some way because all of the Bible points to this text, Uh, whether it's Old Testament passages that look ahead to it or some of the letters in the New Testament looking back and trying to make sense of it. And uh, this is the the text, you know, this is The cross is just central to what it means to be a Christian. There's no way you can be a Christian without the cross. And uh, so there's so much here that we can talk about, and it's so central to everything in the Christian faith. And one of the problems when we come to a text like this is that if you've grown up anywhere around Christianity, it's probably something that you've heard before. Uh, There was this pastor named uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones who talked about what he called the inoculation principle. And what that is is that uh, you guys know how, like, inoculations work? Like, if you're getting vaccinated for polio, for instance, uh, the vaccine for polio has, like, a tiny bit of polio in it. Just, like, a tiny bit so that your immune system can recognize the virus and fight it off. Uh, So you're actually giving yourself a little bit of the disease in order to become immune to it and uh, what martin lloyd jones talked about was that you know if you get if you grow up around like a little of this this story hearing it once a year uh, just a little bit and it's not central to your life but it's something that you heard a lot there's a possibility that you can kind of become immune to it Uh, You know, you can just, and Christmas and Easter are both kind of like this, where it's like these are stories that we hear all the time, and they kind of just, we kind of just glance by them because they seem uh, so familiar. And so um, what I want to do tonight is kind of uh, highlight maybe a couple things in this text that we don't often notice uh, to help it come alive for us this year. And I just want to give us really a few key ideas that this text Uh, Shows us, and the first thing I want you to see. I don't know if you noticed that the mocking of Jesus in this text is really over the top. And what I hope you, you will see is that every time Jesus is mocked in this process of him being executed, he's mocked with the truth. They mock Jesus with the truth. Um, we see it in verse 35 where they say, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. It's like they've been, in other words, they've been hearing the stuff that Jesus has said. Uh, in verse 37 and 38, he's referred to as the king of the Jews. Uh, you know, in other words, they've heard him say that he's a king. In verse 39, the criminal on the cross is like, you're the Christ, right? Uh, do you see what's going on there? This means that they have all heard explicitly what Jesus has said about himself and refused to believe. Uh, Look at the criminals here. This is kind of an amazing story, right? The two criminals between, that Jesus is between. And these are two guys, they're having the exact same experience, right? They're both guilty. They're both being crucified next to Jesus. And yet one can only mock and the other one comes to faith in that moment. One asks to be saved and the other doesn't. Uh, These are all people that have heard everything they need to hear. They've all seen everything they need to see to be saved. And yet they reject Jesus. Uh, Here's what that means for us. It means that when we reject Jesus, it's not because we don't know what's right. The reason we reject Jesus is that there's something in us that doesn't like him. Like, we can't, we can't overlook the wickedness of the <coughs> mocking in this account. Um, and for us, what that means is when we have, like, for instance, I talk to a lot of you, and I'm this way too, where there are seasons where we kind of, you know, maybe we're strong in our faith for one season, but then we kind of distance ourselves from God. And it's easy to kind of say, like, yeah, I'm just getting a little distant. But what's really going on is that we're purposefully distancing ourselves from God because we don't like him. Uh, Last week, we looked at this account of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And we talked about how uh, he comes to be recognized as king. uh, And we talked about how if he's king, that means I'm not king. And there's a lot of us that don't, we don't naturally like that. If he's the king, that means that he has a say in my life. And sin is offensive, not because we're rejecting some set of ideas, but because we're rejecting a person. When we sin, we're rejecting the one who made us. Um, And there's nothing more offensive than people sarcastically mocking Jesus with the truth. Uh, but if we're honest, we can see ourselves in those people. Can we not? Uh, we'll see it most clearly when we ignore what's true and we say with our lives, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I feel like. And so, uh, these are. first of all, we saw that Jesus is mocked with the truth. But what Luke won't let us escape from is the fact that Jesus is innocent over and over again it's like reiterated he's done nothing wrong he's done nothing wrong before this passage Jesus has gone on trial twice and first with the governor of uh, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and then with King Herod Uh, and both times they're like I find nothing wrong with this man and then this account starts up and uh, we see Jesus even when he's being mocked, pleading with God to forgive these people, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Um, in verse 41, even the criminal knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. Uh, in verse 47, at the end here, the centurion, who's this Roman soldier, says, surely this man was innocent. Um, and even at the end, the crowds seem to know uh, Jesus, this is they're beating their breasts because they know that Jesus has done nothing wrong and yet he's been put to death. Um, I wonder if you could picture for a moment what it would be like to interact with someone with no sin, who's never done anything wrong. Uh, there's not a hint of corruption in this person. There's not a hint of selfishness. Try to picture what it would be like to interact with someone like that where there's not one ounce of selfishness and I think there's a part of us that would think man that would be pretty great but the truth is that most people in his day and most of us view him as a threat that's how messed up we can be and so Jesus you know it's clear that he's innocent from Luke's account of this passage but The big picture, what we need to take away more than anything from this passage is that Jesus is our only hope then. Uh, Why was it important that Jesus be innocent? Because if he wasn't, then he couldn't be dying for the sins of other people. Uh, You know, there's lots of amazing stories we could talk about of people dying for someone else. I read one this week, amazing story from Auschwitz, the concentration camp during World War II. And uh, what happened there This one time was that a bunch of people escaped from Auschwitz and the the people running the concentration camp decided that they were going to execute 10 men in response to discourage other people from running away, right? So that if you run away, you would know you were responsible for 10 other people dying back at the camp. And so they were hoping to discourage anyone else from running away. So they picked 10 men uh, to be executed. And uh, one man yelled out, as they were being led away but I have a wife and children and there happened to be a priest also who was a prisoner at the camp named Father Kolba I think he's from Poland was from Poland and uh, Father Kolba asked "You know, could I die instead of that guy who's got the wife and kids and they said sure okay and so he did it's an amazing story right what you need to see is that that's like a drop of what Jesus did. You know, it's an amazing story, and it's only a drop of what Jesus did because Jesus was the only person who had ever walked the earth that death had no hold on. You know, I could die for you. I could risk, put myself uh, in harm's way for you, but it wouldn't be the same because I'm going to die too. Like, death has a hold on me. And Jesus, by virtue of never sinning, by virtue of never acting selfishly once, was the one person that death had no hold on. And he's the one who goes to the cross to die. And the reason we know that his death worked, that it did what it was supposed to do, is because of this detail uh, that, in verse 45, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Do you know what the curtain of the temple is? In the temple, the Jewish temple, which was right there in Jerusalem, uh, there was, uh, inside the temple, there was an area called the holy place that only certain people could go in. And inside the holy place was this even smaller little, like, cube-shaped room where it was called the most holy place. And one time a year, one person, the high priest, could go in there to meet with God, to atone for the sins of Israel. It's called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And there was a curtain, this really thick curtain. Uh, it's like, think of like a curtain made out of like ropes, you know, like thick. Uh, something like 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. So like taller than like the ceiling in this room. Uh, big, thick curtain, closing off the area between the holy place and that one place where the high priest of God could go in to plead for the sins of Israel. Where he could go in and offer animal sacrifices to atone for the sins of Israel. And what it's saying is that that curtain, in the moment that Jesus was put to death, is torn in two. It goes dark and it's torn in two. And I want you to think about that idea of the day, the day of atonement, the one day out of every year when Israel came together, God's people, to focus on uh, repenting of their sins, to grieve their sins. They fasted that day. The priest went in to sacrifice animals uh, that day. And the challenge of that is that it has to happen every single year. Right? So, like, imagine the experience of it, knowing, you know, my sins are atoned for this year. Thank goodness. But what about next year and the next year? And the next year, uh, the problem we all have with that is that there's it's, it leaves some room for insecurity, um, and we all have the source of insecurity, which is that we all wonder where we stand. You ever wonder where you stand? It could be academically, socially, in life, right? There's all these opportunities to wonder where we stand, or to ask the question, another way to put it would be like, am I enough? You ever wonder that? Am I enough? Uh, Because we all know that nothing we do is really, like, there's always more we could do, right? To better ourselves, to be a better person, to accomplish more. Uh, Did anybody read that article about Gino Auriemma, the women's basketball coach? Joanna read it. Uh, It's on ESPN. It's a really, like, amazing article about our women's basketball coach, Gino, and Amazing story. He's an amazing guy. He's at the pinnacle of his career, right? Like, everyone knows we're the best team. No question. Everyone knows he's the best coach. No question. But you know what? In that article, they kind of profile him and get him to admit a lot of things. And you know what he admits? It's not enough for him. And he often feels like, well, why am I not a men's coach? Why am I not a professional coach instead of a college coach? Uh, he admits that he takes medication for anxiety. Can you imagine that? Like, Gino is the man. Like, everybody loves that guy, and he like can do no wrong in his work and in his life, it seems. And it's not enough. Think about the good kind of religious things you do, right? We all know that none of those things are enough. You know, if you've offended God, like, what could you do to make up for that? You know, think about what you've done or what you've thought or what you've said. And, you know, how could, like, there would always be more we could do to make ourselves better and to maybe be enough. But when Jesus dies, it goes dark for three hours and the curtain is torn. And what that means is that Jesus is enough for you. It means we don't need another day of atonement. Like there's nothing more that you can add to make yourself more okay with God. It's done. It means that if your trust is in Jesus, you know exactly where you stand. Whether today was a horrible day for you and you did awful things, or today was like this great day. It doesn't affect your standing. Uh, it means we know exactly where we stand and there's nothing more that needs to be done to make us right. We cannot lose the love of God. We can't lose our security. So how should we respond? I'm going to give us two ways that we should respond to kind of wrap this up. Uh, the first way is we should respond to this by becoming humble people that are quick to confess their need for a savior. Like there's there's the best piece of news in this passage is that there's one criminal who comes to believe. And this is a guy, the criminal who comes to believe, he's got no good works, right? Like nothing. He's dying because he's a criminal in this moment. And it shows that even if you're a complete failure, even if your life is a mess, Jesus still wants you. You know, can you not stop looking at pornography? Guess what? Jesus still wants you. Are you greedy and selfish and judgmental? Jesus still wants you. Do you gossip all the time or do you talk about people behind their backs? Jesus still wants you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to have you as his. Uh, I wonder, have you come to God with this posture yet? You know, this posture of confessing sin and receiving his grace. Uh, knowing, you know, I'm not enough, but I know that in, in Christ I am enough. But that's the only place the true life is found. Um, do the people around you know that you need Jesus? Can you, can you admit God and to other people around you when your life is a mess or do you just kind of prop yourself up like no one needs to know no one would ever know Uh, so we need to become people that humbly confess their need for a savior but lastly uh, we should respond to this by following him Uh, even when he calls us into suffering and difficulty Um, and you know if you've ever tried to live out the Christian life then you know that it's a life of difficulty It's a life of trials. Uh, It's a life in which we face many challenges. Some just like implicitly by what Jesus calls us to do. And there's also opposition. So there's a lot of challenges. Uh, Listen to what a pastor says about this passage in relation to that question of following Jesus into trials. He says, And when you suffer, you may be completely in the dark about the reason. For your own suffering. It may seem as senseless to you as Jesus' suffering seemed to his disciples, but the cross tells you what the reason isn't. It can't be that God doesn't love you, it can't be that God has no plan for you, it can't be that he has abandoned you. Jesus was abandoned and paid for our sins so that God the Father would never abandon you. The cross proves that he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. It also demonstrates that God can be working in your life even when it seems like there's no rhyme or reason to what is happening. The amazing thing about the cross is that it appears to be the weakest moment, right? As Jesus is put to death in shame. But what I hope you'll see, and what I hope kind of comes out as we reflect on that, is what was just said here is that the cross is the source of the greatest strength you could ever imagine. Uh, The strength to be humble and the strength to endure. Uh, So let's pray in closing that we'd be able to lean into that this week and always. Let's pray. Uh, Father, you know that... uh, We know that there's so much more to this text than we could even uh, kind of get into tonight. Uh, So I pray that you would help us to reflect on it more. And I pray that we would come to see uh, your love in it and our great need for you and the way uh, that you provide for our great need in Christ. Uh, we pray that you would make the cross uh, the center of our hearts and lives uh, tonight and always. Help us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.